And the number one complaint from people around the country is that they don't feel listened to. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people feel that way. So it's the way we, you know, and we're, and we're so, Lily, we're just so self-absorbed. So the reason why we don't feel listened to is because nobody's listening. Right. Because, right. Because, right. Because we're all so pissed off that nobody's listening to us. Right. We're like, <laughs> uh, but the, if we only understood that if I listen to you, you will be able to listen to me. I'm Lily Cornell-Silver, and welcome to Mind Wide Open, my mental health-focused interview series. Today, I am talking to Dr. Niobe Wei, who is an accredited author, a professor of applied psychology at NYU, and the founder of the Project for the Advancement of Our Common Humanity. Dr. Wei's work in human connection spans decades and is so profound, especially in this period of isolation and disconnection that we've been in since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. I truly believe that every single person who watches this interview will get something out of it about connection and vulnerability. So I really hope you enjoy and thank you so much for watching. It's so lovely to meet you, Dr. Wei. Thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful. Of course. I'm so excited to talk about human connection. Obviously, it's a very important topic to me. It's an important topic to everybody. Um, so I would love to start just by hearing about how you got into that field, because I think many people, myself included, like I didn't even know that was a specific field of, of research, a specific field of study. So I'd love to hear about that from you. Yeah, I was a doctoral student at Harvard in the 80s, um, and I, was, I wanted to study, um, I wanted to be a counselor. Um, and part of my training as a counselor um, in a doctoral program is I worked in a high school as a counselor, and I started hearing, um, I had a lot of boys in my practice, mm-hmm. and uh, teenage boys, and I started to hear a lot about their friendships. So they were talking about the struggle to find close friendships and, and the betrayals by their guy friends and their sense of, uh, and their desire for closeness and emotional intimacy. And, um, and I was just blown away. I was like, hey. wait a minute, what? Um, and so I was taking a lot of adolescent development classes at Harvard and, you know, learning about adolescence. And none of this was in my classes. Not, none right. of it. I was learning about, like, all sorts of things that you learn about when you learn about teenagers. Um, but no, nobody was talking about friendships. And wow. No, I know. And I realized that the, we were That's telling awesome. the wrong story about human development. Yeah. Um, and that we were focusing on separation and the need for separation and the need to be autonomous and independent and, you know, all these things, which is all beautiful things. They, they are important needs in human development, but it was totally missing the, the desire for human connection, totally missing. Wow. So I became fascinated and obsessed in some ways. I become obsessed with things. <laughs> um, uh, I do. Uh, so I became obsessed with uh, basically researching friendships. And I switched into a doctoral program on human development. I got my PhD in human development um, at, at Harvard. And, um, and I basically spent the next 30 years, it's been, it's been 30 years now, uh, focused on human connection as a core need of human thriving. That's amazing. And that's something that I've talked about so much on the series is the need for emotional intelligence and for like human connection structures to be integrated into the education system and into the workplace. Like it needs to be integrated societally. Um, Basically my data then started showing over many years, I've studied thousands of teenagers and I follow as a developmentalist, I follow the same people over time. So I'll start interviewing them when they're 11 or 12, and then I'll follow them till about eight, 19 or 20. Uh, So I I get to hear the changes as they get older. 
And the boys at 12, 13, and 14 are very clear about their need for emotionally expressive friendships and for emotionally intimate friendships. Um, and that's the first part of the story that they communicate when you talk to them, especially in early adolescence. Um, and then the second part of the story, you begin to hear how culture or modern culture gets in the way of our human nature. Um, and you start to hear the stories of, you know, the importance of manning up. Right, um, right. Um, and so young men, as they get older, they start to, in the interviews, you start to hear them really go underground with their desire for friendships. So they start to say, it doesn't matter, I don't care, whatever, um, in terms of talking about their friendships. Um, but there's a definite major theme of sadness. And um, what you begin to hear at 16 years old, 15, 16 years old, is right at the, at the age in which they start to sort of talk about how they struggle to hold on to close friendships or to find close friendships, um, is right when boys start committing suicide at much, much higher rates than girls. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and the suicide rate just explodes for boys around that age. Also, violence, boys' expressions of violence, uh, school shootings and stuff start happening at about that age. And it really is exactly the age in which they're told that to somehow to have close male friendships is weird. Right. And then the third part of the story is the clash between our culture and our nature causes what I call a crisis of connection. Uh, where we're disconnected from ourselves and each other, and that's a crisis of connection. Mm -hmm. And the fourth part of the story is the consequences of the crisis is everything you talk about. I mean, it's depression, anxiety, uh, violence, suicide, loneliness, isolation. All that is sort of the, uh, the consequences of this crisis of connection. You want connection, but you can't find it. Um, and then finally, the solutions, the fifth part of the story that boys tell us implicitly and explicitly too sometimes is that um the the solution is to get back to who we are as humans which right. is to nurture our nature build a culture that nurtures our nature rather than gets in the way where do you feel like that stems from that disconnection between our natural being and how we're taught to operate in the world or how we're told to operate in the world where do you think that comes from we, we, we made what is human, which is thinking and feeling, which is a human thing. We made thinking into masculine and feeling into feminine. And the minute we took what is human and put a gender on it, um, it made it see, so that all of a sudden, you know, uh, the, the value of thinking was prioritized and the, and the value of feeling because it was feminized was seen as less important. Once we did right. that, and we gendered a core human capacity and need, we were, we were lost as a culture, right? We're lost as a culture. So it's rooted in our division of what is masculine and what is feminine. And then we disconnected from what is feminine, even though what is feminine is actually the root of our humanity. Right. And it speaks to kind of the, the arbitrariness of why, like how those things got labeled that way and that the gender exactly. binary is a social construct anyway. So it's, it's, it's also arbitrary and none of it's natural. It's, it, we have socially constructed our notions of being a man and a woman. Right. And, and, and we are suffering because we don't value what it's associated with being a woman. Right. And only value what's associated with being a man. So that means everybody suffers, not just women. But actually, in fact, I would say you, in, in this respect, men even more so because if they act soft in any ways, they're considered not a man. Right. There is that crazy. stigma around men being vulnerable. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That makes us disconnect from each other. Because if, if, you know, if I'm talking, if I'm in a relationship with a guy and I think that the guy's of course going to be a, an emotional idiot, right. um, 
then that's not great for my relationship if I'm going to assume that he has no emotional acuity. And it's not great for the guy if he thinks that I am the only person he can talk to about his feelings right. because he can't talk to his guy friends. That's not good for him either. So it's, it hurts the relationship. It hurts friendships. It hurts, it hurts all human relationships. So the, the research that you're discussing from like the, the story that the boys were telling, that's published in a book of yours, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It so, so, the book, so it, it comes from a book called Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships, and the Crisis of Connection. Okay. Um, I just have to say, Lily, um, there was a, a research done at the Harvard uh, Center for Making Caring Common, and they found that 80% of parents said that across the nation said that academic achievement was more important than kindness, um, and wow. so if, if we live in that kind of country, oh my God, where, yeah. know, parents are thinking academic achievement is more important than kindness, right. we shouldn't be surprised that there's a mental health crisis. Exactly. And they do this exactly. beautiful experiment at UVA where they have people look at the, they, they wear a backpack, the subjects wear a backpack and they look at the steepness of a hill, okay? Um, and they have to estimate the steepness of the hill. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in UVA, it's a real hill, but otherwise they do it on <laughs> a computer model. So, and then you're, you're supposed to estimate how steep the hill is. So then they have a condition where you're standing alone, estimating the steepness of the hill. You're standing with a person who you don't know. A person, and then another condition is a person you know well, and a person mm-hmm. who's your best friend. Okay. The people who are standing next to their best friend see the hill as less steep. Wow. Is that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. basically what they're discovering is that your perception of difficulty, of task difficulty, right. Right. is shaped by who's standing next to you. We need friendships from the day we're born. I mean, you know, maybe after the first year of life. <laughs> uh, you know. uh, but the day we're born till the day we die, we need them right. because it's about the ways we connect and it can't just be, you know, your romantic partner. It can't just be, right. you know, it has to be ideally it's different people in your life. It's people older than you, younger than you, you know, different, different walks of life. I mean, ideally it's different types of people and, and different types of friendships, right? Cause all, as you know, Lily, your friendship, each friendship is sort of distinctive. Right. A few weeks ago, I did an interview with Jack Osborne, um, Ozzy and Sharon's son, and yeah. he was applying this theoretically to um, his experiences with rehab, but he recommended this book called Tribe by Sebastian. Oh, I, know, I know Tribe, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm only halfway through it, but what you're saying yeah. speaks so directly to that as well, yeah. that it's in our nature to build that network of diverse range of people, and that's how we thrive, that's how we succeed, that's how we survive, really. Oh, of course, of course. And the other thing, I just to make it a little deeper, yeah. uh, uh, is that because, you know, I'm a developmental psychologist, so I'm really focused on specifically what type of connection we need. Right. So I'm really talking about, I call it thick love, um, it's really in having a relationship where you feel seen and listened to by me right. and you feel like I see your full humanity. And so I, and I see you. And so that whole sense of genuinely feeling listened to and seen and heard um, is what we're looking for in the connection. So the connections we oftentimes have on social media is, doesn't fit that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. the, the connections we oftentimes have in our lives doesn't fit that. You know, it really is, and it doesn't need to be more than necessarily a few people and maybe even one person. You only have that one person who's that deep with you, but it's really that experience of feeling listened to and heard. And the number one complaint from people around the country is that they don't feel listened to. Yeah. 
Uh, and a lot of people feel that way. So it's the way we, you know, and we're, and we're so, Lily, we're just so self-absorbed. So the reason why we don't feel listened to is because nobody's listening. Right, because, right. Because, right, because we're all so pissed off that nobody's listening to us. Right. We're like, <laughs> uh, but the, if we only understood that if I listen to you, you will be able to listen to me. Absolutely. I'm so curious. I, I launched this series. I launched my mind open in honor of my dad, but it was also like the seeds are very much sown in the pandemic and the lack of connection um, that we're all feeling and still feeling. Um, and I'm so curious, I mean, just how that's impacted your research and you were studying yeah. human connection way before this happened. Yeah. Basically, uh, the COVID has changed everything. And I have to say the reason why it's changed everything for me professionally, I'll talk personally mm-hmm. too, but professionally is that all of a sudden I'm the cool kid on the block and I've been, you know, as I said to you, my my book has been getting a lot of mainstream media attention for a decade. But in the past year, you know, it's just exploded. Of course, yeah. Um, because all of a sudden, it's like being an alcoholic. You have to be at the bottom of the barrel to recognize that you're an alcoholic. Right. And I think COVID has forced us as a culture to realize we have a problem. Right. <laughs> Um, I, so I, I got COVID back in March and I've been had COVID related symptoms for almost a year now. Um, and, um, so it's been a very challenging year, but, 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 but the beautiful thing about when you're challenged and Lily, you know, this exactly what I'm talking about is that it forces you to reach out. Right. Uh, and so even though I was the friendship, I've been a friendship guru for, you know, decades, um, I, I, my, actually, my friendships were fairly, you know, my friendships were just okay. Uh, you know, I'm a single mom of, of two teenage kids and, um, um, basically I wasn't really paying attention to my friendship needs. And since the COVID I have had an explosion of my own friendships. So I, wow. I have discovered for myself, the joys of friendships, which has been so beautiful, Lily, for my daughter to see. So now I'm actually, her mom's actually walking the walk. Right. Um, and not just lecturing her. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, um, but I just think that whole beautiful thing about, which which is part of your story too, Lily, about how, um, you know, sometimes it really is true that you need the challenges in your life mm-hmm. to force you to see things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think COVID has allowed all of us to see that, that, mm-hmm. that how much we need each other. And, and, and quite frankly, Lily, not to be overly dramatic, but that we're starving for each other. And we all think we're the only ones starving. Right. Um, and it's not true. All of us are. I, I have a beautiful story to tell you. I had the boys read a, a, the first part of Deep Secrets. Uh, this, I'll show you the book. The book is this, Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships, and the Crisis of Connection. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a quote in there. Actually, can I read the quote? Yeah, please. This is one of them. His name is Justin, although it's, of course, a pseudonym. Um, mm-hmm. So I ask him about his friendships and this is his response. And he's 14. This is a typical response I get from 14 year olds. Uh, My best friend and I love each other. That's it. You have this thing that is deep, so deep it's within you. You can't explain it. It's just a thing that you know that that person is that person. And I guess that is all that should be important in our friendship. I guess in life, sometimes two people can really, really understand each other and really have a trust, respect and love for each other. It just happens. It's human nature. Um, and I read that, I read that to a classroom full of 12 year old boys and they started giggling. (laughs) I I knew why they were, I knew why they were giggling, but I I said, so tell me why you're laughing. Uh, and nobody would say, then finally I said, come on, tell me why you're laughing. Uh, just, I know why you think that's funny. And then, and then finally one of the guys said, well, God, you know, the dude sounds gay. And I said, okay, well, let me tell you, 
I don't know whether he's gay because I don't ask boys about their sexuality. Um, but 85% of all the boys I've ever interviewed over 30 years sound like that when they're teenagers. That's what they, that's what teenage boys sound like. Right. Um, and so they all like totally quiet. Do you mm-hmm. imagine 12 year old boys, you know, they usually right. squirming around in their seat. <laughs> um, uh, and then finally one of the boys says for real, and I, I said, I said, oh yeah, that's what teenage boys sound like. That's that's what they sound like. And you right. know what happened, Lily? Next, they all they all started sharing that they were just like Justin in the book. Sweet. The, only, the only thing that they needed is for me to normalize the feelings. Right. And the minute I normalized it and said it became that's so gay, to right. like, oh no, that's me. Right. And so I even had two boys in the classroom say talk about how they had broken up in their friendship in front of 22 other guys. They had broken up because one had hurt the other person's feelings. Right. And and they talked about it in the classroom after I normalized it. It's, it's totally possible to do to change the culture. You just got to normalize it and make it a human thing, not a boy thing, not a girl thing. Right. Especially from that young age. Cause as you said, then once we did you, you notion that once it gets like 15, 16, 17, that's when that starts to get beaten out of them. Yeah. And to just talk about girls and, and young women for a second too, it's obviously true for girls and young women. And I would say the challenge for girls and young women in their friendships, which Lily, you're going to know more than I, I will at this point. Um, but I would say the challenge in, in watching my daughter, but also doing a lot of research with girls too, is um, is to have authentic friendships. So girls girls and women know how to fake it really well. Right. Like, you know, right. Lily, you know, Lily, I can say this directly to a girl, a young woman, because you know exactly what I'm going to say. I, I can I can make you in the in the social skills I have. I can make you feel like you're my best friend within a second. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I, I'm so skilled socially that I know how to do that game of, of, of drawing you into me and mm-hmm. making you feel very close to me, even though I don't feel close to you. So those skills should really be saved. Right. For the people that were really seeking close relationships with. So it's that so it- interesting because that was going to be, I was going to ask you that because as before you even brought up the fact that that's something that like, happens typically for young women. Like yeah. I, I find myself really wanting to have connection with my friends, with my family, with whoever, but I tend to have difficulty being truly vulnerable and feeling yeah. like I am connected to other people. And I'm wondering like, cause I, I think, you know, part of it is it's exacerbated by COVID, obviously, but I think it's a, it's a much deeper rooted thing than that. Oh, no, totally. No, because ultimately, you know, in the scheme of things, Lily, to, to put on my feminist hat, which I normally always wear, <laughs> is that, you know, in a culture that doesn't value girls and women as much right. as it does boys and men, that what it means is that we have been taught also, even though we've been taught relational skills, we've taught that those relational skills aren't very valuable. Of course, and, why, and also, Lily, we live in a hyper-masculine culture, so why would you want to be vulnerable? We hate right. vulnerability. The whole culture hates vulnerability. We think it's lame. Right. Um, it's, know, so, I, I, it's so interesting because I, I find it easier almost to be vulnerable on this platform, like to strangers than I do to like, I having lunch with a friend. Like it's, it's such a strange phenomenon. No, no, but you know why? Because by the way, when you interview people, it's the same thing. People will tell me and my team stuff, they would never have told anybody else. Right. The reality is, is that um, you've provided, Lily, a structure by which I can tell you this and be vulnerable. Um, In our friendships, weirdly enough, we don't provide that structure oftentimes. We don't normalize the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, we're either wanting to process something that 
you know, hurt us, but we're not willing to really go vulnerable, right. <laughs> you know, or we just don't want to talk about it or we don't want to, you know, I'm always aware, even in my friendships, even my grown up friendships, you know, that I don't want to be a burden on someone. I don't want to be like, like yeah. weighing them down and depressing them. And then they won't want to hang out with me because I'm so depressing. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? That's the internal loop. Yeah. yeah no, that is, <laughs> I know exactly that's, what you that's mean. What goes on. And, that, and that's just sad because yeah. what it means is, and that's what I meant before COVID. What it means is that then I'm not really close with anybody. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and COVID and being sick, you know, Lily, it forced me, it forced me because I realized if I don't reach out and, actually create real bonds, I'm going to be alone in my house, sick, you know, like I'm going to be totally on my own. And it was like almost a survival response of like, I got to actually start being more vulnerable with people so that I can have genuine friendships, um, you know, for survival reasons. Right. Um, and briefly, I want to touch on uh, the project of the advancement of common of our common humanity, because I know, I mean, that's obviously born of this entire conversation. And I oh. want to hear what what you're doing with that and all of that. Yeah. So basically, it was a think and do tank I started in 2013 because of this story that the boys were telling. And I realized I need to change that. We need to change the framework of the culture. And so it really is. It's a think and do tank. It has we have lots of members. Um and, and uh, people who sort of do work on social connection, um, but trying to impose this, or not po- impose is too, it's too aggressive, trying to instill this framework in the way we think about things, this five-part right. story that I told you about. Right. Um, but one of the main projects we do at, at, at PATCH, the acronym is PATCH, um, is um, P-A-C, PACH.org, um, is um, we do the listening project. And the listening project is a, we embed it in a curriculum, in English curriculums in middle schools across the city. Um, we do not, it's not extracurricular. It's not after school. It's embedded in English classrooms. Right. It's a whole unit for two months where they're learning the skills of um, tr- what we call transformative interviewing. Um, and we, you, you learn the skills and it's where they're interviewing and learning the skills of interviewing with their peers, teachers, family members. And then they do a biography project when they present their biography at the end of the semester. It's a beautiful thing. I have seventh graders interview my doctoral students and my doctoral students interview my seventh graders. And guess who's the better interviewer? Really? <laughs> Seriously. Who, yeah, I, w- I would genuinely guess the seventh graders. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Do, do you know why? I feel like they, I feel like they just get more to the root of it. Oh, totally. Like, the totally. honesty, the honesty is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're still connected to their natural curiosity. Right. And so, right. so I'll, I'll tell you, I had seventh grade boys. They always have to interview me as part of the training as a group. Right. And so the question they first asked, this is how, how intense 12-year-old boys are when you nurture their curiosity. Their first question was, are you, are you married? And which I find hilarious that 12-year-old boys are asking me if I'm married. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, so they say, how are you married? And I was right. trying to be difficult because I wanted them to work at it. So I yeah. said, no. And then they said, well, have you ever been married? I said, yes. And then they all started laughing because they realized I was trying to be hard. And so finally, anyways, so they finally were asking me questions like this, Lily, and I'm not, I've had this experience so many times, but I just want your listeners to hear. These are the kinds of questions 12-year-old boys ask, okay? Are you ready? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Do you still love him? Does he know, does he know that you still love him? What do you do that makes you, that makes him think that you still love him? How do you, how do you, these are from 12 year old boys. Right. Raise your hand. They're like this, like, call on me, call on me. Then uh, how, how did you support your children during the divorce? And then, and then little Matthew, he goes, 
how did your kids support you when you were going through a divorce? How did your kids support you? Wow. Because the questions that are socially unacceptable are always the questions you want to be asked. Right. Right. Like, like, do you still love him? That's a question I was starving to be asked because of course I felt like I did still love, I do still love him. Um, but nobody ever asked me, so I had never articulated it, you yeah. know? So it's really transformative for young people because they all, so many boys and a lot of girls too, they don't necessarily see themselves as skilled in terms of building relationships, right. but they are, they're naturally skilled. Think about all those skills are just thrown in the garbage and right. seen as, you know, we need to focus on math and science. Right. And I'm, I'm, st- I'm still floored by that statistic that, that, Isn't that so ma- the majority of parents were prioritizing academic performance. Yeah. Oh, over kindness, kindness. Right. I mean, oh my right. God. The problem is often really middle, upper class, upper class, you know, rich people and middle class people like myself um, that really have gone crazy, right? With the, with the focus on this sort of, you know, um, very hard notion of humanity. Whereas in some ways, I'm not trying to idealize working class communities, but the beautiful thing about working class communities is they've known the importance of community mm. you know, for a long time. And they, there's much more sense of having to rely on each other. And I, and I don't, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to idealize anybody, uh, but I'm just saying, you know, I mean, I mean, even but it's the product of a, of a capitalist structure. That's totally. Oh, really. Okay. You're talking my language. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether you, I, I, yeah, that's, that's what I would say to my NYU students. It's capital. Right. It's hardcore capitalism. It's hardcore right. capitalism. I'm going to do a hard 180 okay. <laughs> from that topic. I would love to know what is something that is giving you hope right now? Personally, um, I love that I have been trying to walk the walk in the way I raised raise my kids. And I have two kids, two teenage kids that I've tried to walk the walk by really instilling these kinds of values since they were little kids. And I have two very, very emotionally and relationally astute, beautiful human beings in mm-hmm. my children. And it is so gratifying to see my daughter be such a good friend to her friends and my son be such a good friend to his friends. But on a more professional level, the hope is that I actually think my message is really hopeful. I don't think it's depressing at all. Um, my message is that the problem is our culture, not our nature. Right. Um, and if, if the problem was our nature, it'd be super depressing. Right. Uh, be, right. It'd be super depressing. If it's our culture, we can change it. There's a visible solution, right? Yeah. You guys can create the kind of culture you want. Just do it. Just right. do it. It's a message. It's, it's hard work, but it's also huge possibility. Yeah. You, your generation decides that we want to have this a core part of our education when we go to college mm-hmm. and you make that clear with your university mm-hmm. that you want part of your education to be like I teach it as an undergraduate course at NYU called the listening project um, that you want the listening project on your university and you want right you want these things as part of your education it will happen. Well, that is a beautiful and powerful message. And yeah. I thank you so much for being here, Dr. Way. Yeah, this was yeah. like one of my favorite interviews ever. This is okay, <laughs> so yeah. insightful. And I mean, it speaks yeah. so directly to, I think, my experience, but I, I would think to most people's experiences that will watch this. So thank oh, you so much for being okay. here. Oh, good. Yay. Yeah, good. Okay. Thanks so much, Lily. It was great of to be here. You're a great interviewer. Thank That's you. Really thank You're you really so good. much. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, good. I had fun. Thanks, Lily. If you like this episode, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a review. 